Hello and welcome to Hugenhoff Podcast, episode 140. We will be going over the Edas again today, but before we jump into that, I'll quickly go over the station news. Just a reminder, you can check out my website at hugenhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F.org. There's Rune Stuff and the podcasts, of course. You can also check out the show notes. They're also there on the podcast session section. And the reason you should check out the show notes is because Steve's book stuff is there. Um, he's got a bunch of books on Amazon. You can just search Stephen Oaks, but there's some links in there to take you straight to his page. I also have a book. You can search my name, Byron Rogers, Lightbringer, if you want it. Nothing else new there at the moment. So I did mention that I was making D&D stuff, and I still am. But it's going to be a while before I release that, because I want to get level 1 through 20 all released at the same time. So eventually... That will come out. Frothnir.com is my first five-level campaign you can play. That's free. The next one I'm making will also be free. Uh, but that, that's not out yet. So if if you want my first campaign, you can get that at Frothnir.com. And that's in the show notes too, I hope. So check out the show notes. Um, without further ado, though, let's jump into the Eddas. Now, where was I last time? Uh, I'm just going to start here. This is the reason for Frey so being unarmed when he fought Belly, killing him with a stag's antler. Ah, yes, we were talking about Frey and how he met Gerd and the antler and all of that stuff. So I'm pretty sure I got to a good stopping place on that. So I might repeat myself a little bit, but we won't go into depth in anything I've already discussed, unless it's a brand new topic. Again, just a reminder about this series, it's really just a way for me to think of things to talk about. When, and I would suggest everyone do this yourself. Read these books all the way through just thinking about the book, focusing on the book the first time. But then the second time, you can kind of read it at a slower pace and be like, this is to get me thinking about these things. And read a sentence and be like, what does that mean? What does that mean to me? What other things does it make me think of? It doesn't always have to be, I'm, I'm reading this book to understand exactly what the author was getting out. The first time you read it, yeah, that's what you should do. But the second time you can kind of go a little wider and be like, what's this mean to me? I know the author wasn't saying this, but it got me thinking about this. I think that's something that you can do, especially with like the Addis. And that's what this is. Then spoke Anglary. It is, it is very strange that such a prince as Frey should not should want to give away his sword when he did not have another that was as good. This would have been ter- a terrible handicap for him when he fought with the one called Belly. I dare swear by my faith that he must then have regretted this gift. Um. So another note here, you can. Well, uh, actually, that's not. Ne- never mind. Uh, then High replied, It did not matter much when he and Belly met. Frere could have killed him with his fists. There will come a time when Frere will find being without the sword a greater disadvantage when Muspel's son come and wages war. So, I've made this point before, but I'm saying Frere because that's how it's spelled. You may also hear it as Frey. Um... Both are correct. They're just different ways of saying it. Uh, 
people in different countries with different language well they weren't countries back then i guess there are more tribes but people who spoke different languages honor the same god so you know the whole odin woden Frey, Freyr thing you'll hear them pronounced differently but usually you know which one we're talking about if i ever think it's confusing i'll mention it uh, da, da, da. Din spoke in Glary. You say that all those men that have fallen in battle since the beginning of the world have now come to Odin in Valhall. What has he got to offer them for food? I should have thought that there must be a pretty large number of them. Then High replied, It is true what you say. There is a pretty large number there, and many more have yet to arrive. And yet there will seem too few when the wolf comes. But there will never be a large number in be, there will never be such a large number in Valhall that the meat of the boar called Seirimir will not be su sufficient for them. It is cooked each day and whole again by evening. But this question that you are now asking, it seems to be, it seems to me very likely that there can be few so wise as to be able to give the correct answer to it. The cook is called Andrimnir and the pot Eldrimir. Thus it says here, Andromir and Sehrimir cooked in Eldromir, best of meats, but there are few that know on what the Einheriar feed. I think I read this too, so I'm not going to go into depth. Then spoke Inglary, does Odin have the same fare as the Einheriar? High said, the food that stands on his table he gives to two wolves of his called Gary and Freki. He himself needs no food. Wine is for him both drink and meat. Thus it says here, Gary and Freki, the battle accustomed father and host feeds, but on wine alone splendidly weaponed Odin ever lives. Two ravens sit on his shoulder and speak into his ears all the news they see and hear. Their names are Hugin and Munin. He sends them out at dawn to fly over all the world, and they return at dinner time. As a result, he gets to find out about many events from this he gets the name Raven God, as it says, Hugin and Moon and fly each day. Wait, Hugin and Moon and fly each day over the mighty earth. I fear for Hugin lest he come not back. Yet I am afraid more about Moonin. Yeah, and I talked about this, which I'll briefly mention. The idea that he Moonin means uh, thought, and Hugin or backwards, Hugin means thought, and Moonin means memory. And he says, I fear for Hugin, so I fear that people will be unwise, which is fair. Yet I am afraid more about Moonin. I'm more afraid that people will forget. And I think that's kind of something that we can even see here. There's definitely plenty of people who do things that are unwise today. But a, a bigger risk for us um, not moving forward as a society, repeating our mistakes, is the fact that oftentimes we forget about the past. We forget our roots, we forget our ancestors, we forget all of the societies that have come before us. And, and if we do that, if we forget the mistakes we've made in the past, we'll make them again. I think you see that a lot where we make the same mistakes over and over again. So remembering where we came from is even, is, is one of the most important things. It's kind of what I went into that last time, so I won't go any deeper for now, but um, I really do think remembering the past is something that's really important and something we don't put enough stock in today. Then spoke in glary, what do thine harrier have as drink that last him as splendidly as the food? Is water drunk there? 
Then said hi, this is a strange question you are asking, whether all father would invite kings and earls and other men of rank to his house and would give them water to drink? And I swear by my faith that there comes many a one to Valhall who would think he had paid a high price for his drink of water, if there are no better cheer to be got there, when he had previously endured wounds and agony leading to his death. I can tell you a different story about this. There is a goat called Hydron standing on top of Valhall, feeding on the foliage from the branches of that tree, whose name is well known. It is called Lered, and from this goat's udders flow mead, with which it fills a vat each day. This is so big that all the Anheria can drink their fill from it. Then spoke Anglary, that is, ter- that is a terribly handy goat for them. It must be a jolly good tree that it is feeding on. Then spoke high. There is a matter of even more note regarding the stag Eithrimer, which stands on Valhall and feeds on the branches of this tree. And from its horns, horns comes such a great dripping that it flows down into Hilvgemir. And from there flow the river whose names are Sid, Vid, Second, Ekens, Val, Gunthron, Fjorm, Fimbulful, Gipel, Gopel, Gummel, Grevel. These flow through where the Aesir live. There are the names of others. Then, Vin, Thal, Bal, Grod, Grunthral, Neat, Nod, Non, Ron, Vina, Vegs, Vin, Um So this is listing a lot of names of rivers, which are good things to know, but I wouldn't get too caught up in it. Then, then spoke Glary. That is amazing information that you have just given. Valhall must be a terribly large building. It must often be pretty crowded around the doorway. Then High replied, Why why wait why don't you ask how many doors there are in Valhall and how wide they are? If you hear about this, then what you will say is that on the contrary, it is amazing if everyone cannot go out and in what they want to or out and in what wants to. But to tell the truth, it is not more crowded than crowded when it is occupied than when it is being entered. You can hear about it here in Grimmensel. Five hundred doors and yet forty more. That is what I think are in Valhall. Eight hundred nine Harrier will go at once through one doorway when they go and the wolf go to fight. Uh... So, is that that note? I made a note of how many Einherjar there are. It says 432,000. I'd have to check my math on that. Um, But that's a lot. Uh, You know something that is important, though, that I will mention? Even though that's a large number, it's not a huge number. You know, there's millions of people, billions of people um, on the planet. And if you think about all the people that have died, that number gets even larger. So um, my point is 432,000 out of, or yeah, 432,000 out of the billions and billions and billions of people that have been alive is a very small number. And I'm saying that to enforce the idea that most people are not on Harry R. I think this was the case from what our ancestors believed, and it's even more the case now, there are different afterlives 
for different people and there are different paths for different people. Not everyone is going to be an Ein Harriar. It shouldn't even be everyone's goal. You know, even back in the day, there are plenty of people who are just traders or farmers and they didn't think they would be Ein Harriar. They weren't. That wasn't their goal. They had a different goal in mind for the afterlife. What was that? Who knows? Maybe they wanted to go to Gladsheim and spend time with the elves. Maybe they wanted to go to one of the other halls that are mentioned in Valhalla. Maybe they just wanted to meet their ancestors in, in whatever generic afterlife that is. Like, where's the afterlife where you meet your ancestors? There's all sorts of good questions of which afterlives can you go to you know we we have a lot of mentioning of the different places that you can go like Gladsheim or Valhalla in general but my point is not not everybody was making it to Valhalla that was an extremely special place now that doesn't mean everyone was going to hell or Nifel hell either I don't think that most people went to I definitely don't think most people went to Nifel hell I don't think anyone thinks that I think there's an I think there's a very reasonable argument you can make that most people go to hell, but I don't really think that most people go to hell because it it doesn't at first blush it seems sort of neutral, but if you really think about it it's it's definitely not a good place to go, so I don't think like really motivated, hardworking, spiritual people are going to go to hell where you just <clears throat> sort of sit around wishing you were still alive almost uh it very much reminds me of hades from greek mythology it's not somewhere you want to go um so yeah i don't think that most people probably go to hell i think that a lot of people just like in general go to asgard and spend time with their ancestors i think a lot of people who are you know very nature focused probably go to gladsheim and spend time with the elves and i definitely think there's probably people who don't go anywhere specific and they're able to wander the world trade you know because uh, all of these people just sort of accumulate until Ragnarok and then come Ragnarok the whole world is reborn and I feel like ever at that point in time and it does say every dying Harry are come out to the battle it says to people in hell come out to the final bag battle but the reason I don't think everybody in but the reason I don't think everyone goes to hell is because those people do fight for Loki. Um, so that's not good people necessarily that are in hell. It's not the worst of the worst. You know, it's not Nifel hell, but it's it's not good people either. I think that most people, most of our ancestors especially, even if they don't die gloriously in battle, it doesn't mean they're going to fight for Loki and try to destroy everything that's good in the world. So that's another reason that I don't think everybody goes to hell. Um, I, I think there's a lot of afterlives, and I don't think we know what most of them are because we're not dead. So some of them get mentioned here, but there's also a lot that doesn't get mentioned here. But my point was, most people aren't most people aren't on Harry R. Then spoke in Glary. There is a very large number of people in Valhall. I declare by my salvation that Odin is a very great lord when he commands such a great trip. But what entertainment do the Ironhairiar have when they are not drinking? I said, each day after 
Each day after they have got dressed, they put on war gear and go into the country and or into the courtyard and fight each other, and they fall each upon the other. This is their sport. And when dinner time approaches, they ride back to Valhall and sit down to drink, as it says here. All and Harry are in Odin's court, fight one another each day. They select their victim and from battle ride sit in set the moor at peace together. But it is true but it is true what you said. A mighty one is Odin. There is much evidence that points to this. Thus it says here in the words of the Aesir themselves. What time are we? Okay. The Ash Yggdrasil, this is one of the foremost trees. In Skidblarner of ships, Odin of the Aesir, of horses Schlepnir, Bifrost of Bridges, and Braggy of Poets, Habrock of Hawks, and of Dogs Garm. Hey, Braggy's a great poet. I've said that before. Then spoke Anglary, who is this horse Schlepnir, and what is there to tell about him? All right, so before we jump into that, I'm keeping an eye on the time. Um, I think I'm going to keep going. I wanted to quickly touch on Thine Harrier and how there aren't many of them again. So the sport of Thine Harrier every day is to go out into battle and fight each other. You know, to get better at battle. That sounds terrible because I personally don't like fighting. But to a lot of people, that would sound great because they're constantly improving that skill, which was very important to them, of battle or physical prowess or whatever. Um, no, specifically battle. It kind of has to be specifically battle. There, there could definitely be people who like that, but not everybody likes that. I love Dark Souls, but most people don't. Most people are like, why would you do that? That sounds terrible because you just keep dying over again and it's frustrating and you know I can try to explain like oh yeah but like when you finally win you feel good and you feel like you're improving but most people are going to be like that doesn't make sense to me I don't know why you enjoy that game and it's the same thing well really with anything I'm sure there's people who don't understand why I like programming even though I think that's super fun or logic puzzles like some people think those are fun or some people think those are dumb and like I think they're really fun. But then there's other people who like accounting, and I hate accounting. I just think it's boring. There's nothing wrong with accounting. It's it's great. It, I'm sure it's very interesting and fun to figure out why accounts are out of bounds. But for me, it's no fun. It's just a terribly boring thing I don't want to do. And I don't want to fight other people all day. That sounds really unpleasant. So my point is... Most people don't go to Ein Harriar because most people wouldn't be happy in Ein Harriar. It wouldn't be a reward to most people. It'd be a punishment to a huge number of people. They have to do something forever that they don't want to. So only the people who truly love to improve themselves, improve their will. Because, I mean, I've never been in war. I don't know anything about it. I know it's, I know it's terrible. I know it's really hard. Um, but especially in the the warfare that our ancestors had, where you had to, you know, fight right up there, close and personal, if you will. A huge part of it was strength. Absolutely. You had to be strong. You couldn't be some <laughs> wimpy guy like me. You couldn't be weak and get very far. But a lot of it was like a mental fortitude. Because you're like, well, when you're dead, you don't have muscles. 
yes. A lot of it was a mental fortitude and a willpower thing. You know, it's like an anime where it doesn't matter how strong you are. It's just a person who keeps going and, and has the stronger will eventually wins. I think there's actually a decent amount of truth in that. And once you die and, you know, you're fighting in Ragnarok or training for Ragnarok, it's even more true because there aren't the physical components. A huge part of succeeding at anything, but especially at something like battle, would just be that willpower to keep going no matter what, no matter the pain, no matter no matter any of these other considerations, you just keep going. And for a lot of people, I think honing that skill and that determination would be very rewarding for them. There's a group of people that very much like to be in Ragnarok, and I think those are the people that are there. Um, I've turned, I've become a little rambly, but long story short, even for all the people who are also true, we don't all have the exact same afterlife. Everybody has a different path. That is true in life, and that is true in death. Again, this is a thing that I come up, come back to a lot. All of these things work on like macro and micro levels. Like the analogies between the world is born and then it dies and then it's reborn. We are born and then we die and then we're reborn. In a sense like our own death is our our like little miniature Ragnarok when we move on to something else. Um, but the well that that's true. I believe that. I don't know if that really illustrates my point. My point is that everybody has different paths. So I might go into programming and you might go into music. You know, maybe you're a musician or you might go into running a company or you might go into having a lawyer firm or an accounting firm or whatever. We all do these different things. We all have a different path in life. That's not a controversial thing. Nobody says, oh, you're the wrong you're the wrong profession. You're a lawyer and you should be a banker. Like no no one says that. No one because that's ridiculous. We all have different strengths and we all do different things because we like different things. But I very much think it's the same with the afterlife. Not everybody sh is going to Ragnarok and not everyone should want to go to Ragnarok. It's not for everyone. It's for some people. Just like programming's not for everyone. And just like banking's not for everyone or lawyering. I couldn't be a lawyer I would hate it and be bad at it. So if regular life is that way, why would it surprise us that the afterlife was that way? So again, the whole point that I'm making is everyone has different paths here right now, right this second in their own personal lives, but also in the afterlife and, and what they do, you know, when they die. All right, this next part, all right, this next part is long, so this is going to be the last one before I wrap up, but it is pretty long. Hi said, you do not know, wait, Hi said, you do not know details of Slepner and are not acquainted with the circumstances of its origin. Oh, so you've probably heard the origin of Slepner. Let's see how much they say. But you will find this worth listening to. It was right at the beginning of the God settlement when the gods had established Midgard and built Valhall. There came there a certain builder and offered to build them a fortification in three seasons. So good that it would be reliable and secure against mountain giants and frost giants even though they should come in over Midgard. 
And he stipulated as his payment that he should get Freya as his wife, and he wished to have the sun and the moon. Then, then the Aesir went into discussions and held a conference, and this bargain was made with the builder that he should get what he demanded if he managed to build the fortification in one winter. But on the first day of summer, summer if there is anything unfinished in the fortification, then he should forfeit his payment. He was to receive from he was to receive from no man help with the work. And when they told him these terms, then he asked what they should permit him to have the help oh then he asked that they should permit him to have the help of his stallion called Svidler Ferry, and it was Loki that was responsible for this being granted him. He set to work the first day of winter to build fortifications, and at night he hauled up some he hauled up stone with the stallion, and the Azer thought it a great marvel what enormous rocks the stallion hauled. And the stallion preferred performed twice the deed of strength that the builder did. But at the agreement, there had been mighty witnesses invoked in many oaths, for the giant did not think it safe to be among the Aesir without a guarantee of safety, if Thor were to return home. But at the time he was gone away into eastern parts to thrash trolls, and as winter passed, the building of the fortification advanced rapidly. And it was so high and strong that it could not be stormed. And when the summer was three days away, then he had almost got round to the entrance of the fortification. Then the gods took their places on the judgment seat and tried to think of what to do and asked each other who held, who had been responsible for the decision to marry Freya into giant land and to spoil the sky and the heavens by taking away the sun and the moon and giving them to the giant. There is agreement among them all that he must have been responsible and there is agreement among them all that he must have been responsible for the decisions who is responsible for most evil loki lafarisan and declared he would deserve an evil death if he did not find a scheme whereby the builder would forfeit his payment and they offered to attack loki and he, being afraid, swore oaths that he would manage things so the builder would forfeit his payment, whatever it cost him to do so. And the same evening, and the same evening, when the builder drove out the stones with the stallion Sidflarferi, there ran out of a certain wood a mare up to the stallion and neighed at him. And when the stallion realized what kind of horse it was, it went frantic and tore apart and tackled and ran towards the mare. And she away to the woods, and the builder after them, trying to catch the stallion. <laughs> and there the horses ran around all night, and the building work was held up for that night. The next day, not as much building was done as had been the case previously. And when the builder realized that the work was not going to be completed, then the builder got into a giant rage. But when the Azir saw for certain that it was a mountain giant that they had there. Then the oaths were disregarded and they called upon Thor and he came in trice and the next thing was that Mjolnir was raised aloft. Then he paid the builder's wages and it wasn't the sun and the moon. Instead he stopped him from living in giant land and struck the first blow so that his skull was shattered into fragments and sent him down beneath Nifelhel. But Loki had had such dealings with Svidderferi that somewhat later he gave birth to a foal. It was gray and had eight legs, and 
This is the best horse among gods and men. Thus it says in Valsapa. Then when, then when all the powers to their judgment seats, most holy gods, and deliberated upon this, who had tainted all the sky with darkness, and to the family of giants given odds beloved. Oaths were gone back on pledged words and promises, all the solemn vows that passed between them. Thor achieved this alone, bursting with rage. He seldom sits idle when he learns of such things. Alright, so I will stop there for now. Um, I need a, I had a bookmark. So yeah, that's where Schleppner comes from. Ultimately, Loki distracting uh, the horse of the giant who built the wall so the wall couldn't be completed in time. Because if the wall was completed in time, then they had already said that they'd let the giant marry Frey, Freya and have the son of the moon. And they couldn't do that. So so they uh, they got Loki to trick him, but that's where Slepner comes from. What I like about that story is even though they're dealing with a giant and it's questionable why they made those O's to give him payment of Freya and the Sun of the Moon and was Loki involved, who knows. But even though they were dealing with a giant, they couldn't just break their O's or they wouldn't just break their O's. They weren't like, oh, well, we unpromise. And that comes up a lot where O's are super important. O's are hugely important. So they have to find another way to get out of this oath, which they end up um, getting Loki to help with that and the whole distract the horse now. Now the giant doesn't fulfill his oath, and they're not bound by it anymore. But I just really like that idea. It's like, no matter what, you can't break an oath. It's not like, oh, here's an exception. And I don't want to be too black and white, and it's always wrong to kill, or it's always right to kill. Like, I understand that there's nuances to these situations, but I also think there's hard lines, and it's good to say, like, hey, this thing is wrong. Like, breaking autonomy is always wrong. There's not exceptions to that, and this is... And, and another one that I really strongly believe kind of wrapped up with the autonomy thing, honestly, is the oaths. You can't break an oath. And this is a thing where they're like, well, we're stuck. We swore an oath. We can't get out of it by just breaking the oath. We have to find another way out. So this just kind of emphasizes how important oaths were to our people. And I think how important oaths should be to just everyone in general these days. Oaths are super important. I've kind of gone longer than normal, so I am going to go ahead and wrap it up right now. And I'm just going to say read the edits because they're really cool. And there's a bunch of good stuff to think about. And then uh, so hopefully you got something out of this. Do check out my show notes because there's a link to the sacred text website so you can read it won't be the exact same version it'll be a different translation but it will be the edda's which has all the same information in there and there's a lot of good stuff to think about in there so thank you everyone very much for listening and i will see you next month for a how